This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 26 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. And today, we have Carol Herder, who's an inventor and author, and whose blog should be on every every horse lover's reading list. And we have Courtney Dunn, who rides and is especially good with foals. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Welcome back, everyone. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 15th and the 30th of the month. And today I have my producer, Glenn, for a special show we have for you today. Hi, Glenn. Hey there. It's good to be back. Hey, thanks for coming back. I know you've been off to uh, having fun with Percherons and, and being at it, off to events, so I'm glad we get to rope you back here every couple of weeks. Yeah, that was it. We had a good time. We were at the World Percheron Congress. We had three of the hosts from the Horse Radio Network were there. Yeah. And uh, we were competing in celebrity driving and all kinds of different things, and it, it was a blast. We had a great time. Did you ever climb up on top of one of their backs, or were you always in the wagons? No, they don't. Well, they do ride them. They actually, for the first time, had as one of the competitions celebrity, or they had uh, uh, Percheron Barrel Racing. Oh! That was hilarious. <laughs> that was absolutely hilarious, seeing these Percherons do barrel racing. And a couple of them actually did really well, and then a couple of them weren't too sure why they were there in the first place. Yeah. So... <laughs> It was, it was very that is funny. So funny. The only word I can think of is lumbering. Why yes. does that come to my mind? <laughs> yes, they were very lumbering. The bigger ones, you know, were even more lumbering. But there were a couple of them that looked at the barrels. And, it, you know, a lot of these that haven't been ridden a lot, and apparently some of them hadn't been ridden very much uh, before they went into this competition, uh, the, you know, didn't, they're not used to not having their blinders on. So they were seeing things for the first time. <laughs> it was very funny. Cute is. It that? was hilarious. It was a great time. We had, you know, so one of my favorite things is I got to ride in the wagon in the driver's seat. I didn't drive. Uh, I would drive for an eight-hand hitch. Didn't let you drive. An eight-hand, yeah. Yeah, and that wow. boy, you got eight, you know, one thousand pound or two thousand pound percherons in front of you. Uh, each. It is yeah. yeah, each is <laughs> is amazing, and those front pair are a ways out there. Let me tell you, they're a uh, long way out there. I can't even imagine. Yeah, so there's probably. That's longer than the wagon is. Right? Oh, oh, yeah, it's, like it's, it's way out there. I think they yeah. said the reins are 60 feet long that reach out to the front. They're, they're what? They're 60, 60 feet long. <laughs> and or the driver just, has yeah. four sets of reins in each hand because yeah. he's controlling the four pairs separately. So uh, it's just, and yet you watch his hands when he's driving and you really don't see him doing anything. You know, it's, oh, it's amazing. So it is amazing delicate. to watch. Yeah. yeah. So delicate. And they're, they're in, in bits, obviously. Yes. But how much is it, how much is it teamwork and how much is it in the mouth? It's mostly voice. Oh. Um, most of what they do is voice commands. And I even yeah. asked him that because, you know, you're out, we were out in the macadam heading back to the barn out of the ring where, you know, there was actually macadam and they all have those big metal shoes on. And it's, it's cool, by the way, that's one of the coolest oh. sounds ever. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's just cool. Oh. And I yeah. said, how do they hear you? And he said, you see those front ears? He's listening to everything I say. And oh, yet it was right. so loud that I was wondering, and yet he wasn't being loud. The driver, he just had this voice and he was very calm. And mm-hmm. he would say, you know, he would give his commands. They they do the ye in the hall thing and all oh, that. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, he would say, you know, whoa. And these guys would just listen. They were All their ears were up listening. Oh. It was amazing. I yeah. love that. It's just amazing. 
Yeah, but they all have the blinders on, right? Yes. All the way down the line. Yes. Yeah, okay. Because their little ears... Like most driving horses, you know, they yeah. do have those. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Their little ears go where their eyes go, but if they're, but their ears still move to your sound, even if their eyes... Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no. They're listening the whole time. And most drivers use voice commands. That's always mm-hmm. been the way. Mm-hmm. But especially with these larger hitches. I talked to a guy, and I'm, I'm off topic here, but this is fascinating too, a guy mm-hmm. who did the 40-horse hitch in parades years ago. Oh, oh. Um, and they were they toured and they did it was back in the early nineties, late eighties, eighties, nineties, I think. And they did the forty horse hitch in the Rose Bowl parade in different places. And I asked him because they had four rows or ten rows of four. Oh and, yeah. And I asked him, I said, How do you, you know, how'd you control them? And and those reins were 120 feet long. Oh my gosh. to the front. And he said all voice commands. I said, How did they hear you? He said he said he, he, this is funny. He said, you don't know horses very well, do you? They can hear. They hear very well. And I said, but the noise of the crowd and the cheering and everything, he said, they still heard us. And he said, that's how we, we controlled them. Was so voice. not radio-controlled microphones you put on their ears? No. Your headphones. <laughs> not like the Secret Service. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> that's amazing. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. But it's those two lead horses that are the, the real leaders in the group? Yeah, or? I did ask him. I said, you're, you're watching eight horses here all at once. He said, no. He said, the trick is we were watching the two bad ones. Oh, he yeah. said, in every group of eight, you're going to have one or two that are trouble. And he said, the, we're watching those two the whole time. The rest That's are doing adorable. their job. And he That's said, so cute. he said, in a six hand hitch, I can get six that are, you know, I don't have a bad one. But he yeah. said, once you go past six, you're going to have a bad <laughs> one. So it was very funny. You know, he was he was very he's a guy out of Canada. Real nice okay. guy. Yeah, yeah, uh, that sounds like so much fun. So everybody should do that once in their life. Oh, that was a dream that that I had. That was on my bucket list is to attend the World Pertron Congress and ride in a hitch that big. So I got to do both. I was very happy. Fantastic. Well, we had a bucket list item too. Did you? And yes, we did. We we had some wonderful people um, uh, on the farm doing some great things recently. And uh, I I can't, I'll I'll really have to tell you in another episode, but um, we're very excited about some things we've got coming up in December um, that has to do with the horse sense and healing and with our um, veterans who are working with our horses. And so I'm just going to kind of bait you with that. But when you said bucket list item, I went, oh, all tingly because it's, it really is, it's, it's exciting. Some of the things we have coming up, people have to stay on the on the episodes and hear what we've got to say. Well, Glenn, up next, we have an inventor, an author, and a woman entrepreneur of the year, which is um, really, we're honored to have her. And we also have another lady who's a young lady who uh, has been writing her whole life, but she is truly amazing in um, the fact that she grew up on the East Coast with an English saddle and proper English upbringing, and then she moved to the West Coast and has become a reigning (laughs) girlfriend and having a great time on her own uh, little rainer and cow work. But she's really good with the foals, so I really look forward to hearing from Courtney Dunn. And all of that is coming up right after this word from Index Fund Advisors. Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts' Willing Partners graduate, He's a Sugar Bear. You know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you, your temperament, and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people 
with portfolios, risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the Risk Capacity Survey at ifa.com. That's IFA as an index fund advisors. Or you can call us toll-free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133. The president of Cavallo Horse and Rider, Inc., an author and inventor, Carol Herter, has a genuine passion to provide comfort for horses. And in 1993, she designed and developed the Total Comfort System saddle pads for horses. And most lately, she and her husband, Greg, invented the Trek boot for horses. And that's been instrumental in the barefoot movement. In 2010, Ms. Herter won the Royal Bank of Canada Western Trailblazer Woman Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Her background is in holistic and alternative health care, and she co-authored the book, The Cavallo Barefoot Trim. And she contributes articles to various publications, including Equine Wellness and American Horse Publications. Welcome, Carol Herter. I'm so glad to have you back on the, on the episodes and the Horsemanship Radio. Carol, how you doing? I'm well, thanks, Debbie. Good. I'm so glad you're well because you just got back from Kenya. And before we dive into horses too much, I, I wanted to ask you about that trip. It sounded so interesting. So you were on Richard Branson's camp. I don't know how to say it. Mahali, Missouri? Mahali, Missouri. And, um, okay. you know, one may call it a camp, but of course in Branson style, it's a, it's a pretty opulent kind of <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you, you could live there, right? <laughs> oh, easily. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. And yeah, much- and it's in the middle of the Maasai Mara, which is <sighs> um, a huge green belt wilderness area in Kenya. And uh, it's very lush and beautiful. And part of the reason we went there at this time is because it's the time that uh, the largest amount of animals migrate from the Maasai Mara, and they have to cross the Mara River into the Serengeti. And, like, there is 10 million wildebeest, and, um, you know, they cross over. So um, one of the highlights is to see all these animals crossing the river, and, of course, you know, it's fraught with crocodiles and other dangerous things. So, I mean, it, it's quite a, quite a feat to see them all. Uh, do it, and um, so, so that that act- was the impetus to go there. And of course, you see all these animals wanting to migrate, follow the rains, follow the food, mm-hmm. and we just saw everything, you know. And they're all four legged; they're all like horses, you know. There's yeah. the antelope family, there's the equus family, like the zebras and giraffes and everything. Everything was there. It was it was really amazing. It, it's been on my bucket list for yeah. years and years, and. Um, it's, it was a humbling experience, you know, to watch the food chain in action, like, we ah. even saw, you know, like a lot of live kills, you know. Did you? A cheetah, you know, with blood all over his face, just having killed an antelope, and, you know, it's just, it's pretty amazing. I mean, I'm yeah. glad we're at the top of the food chain. Yeah, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> One thing, I have to tell you about the zebras, because... You know, they're equus, but you know how we braid horses' tails and put the little braid down the middle? Sometimes it's called a snake braid. There's one little yeah. braid down the center, and you sure. pull the hairs over from either side. Yeah. Their stripes emulate that. Really? Oh, honestly, I thought, their tails are braided. <laughs> These That's are so domestic cute. Zebras. 
<laughs> who's been out there doing their tails, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they, they grow kind of in that, uh, what is that, you know, pattern, I guess. It's, it's a um, pattern, yeah. Yeah, how yeah. fun, how fun. And do they look healthy and is everybody? Oh, they're all so fat and healthy. In yeah. Kenya, uh, hunting wild animals is banned. Eating mm-hmm. wild meat is banned. Um, so they're really making an effort to, um, you know, get rid of the poaching and, and make tourism uh, the major industry and, you know, involve the Maasai and the local people in that mm-hmm. effort. And, of course, you know, Branson being who he is and so philanthropic, he was allowed to develop in this Greenbelt Conservancy area because mm-hmm. all the profits are going back into uh, women's health, education, and water. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. So I can't, I can't resist. I know we're going to get on to, to horses domestically here, but I can't resist to ask you just thinking about that whole migration thought and the flight animal. Did you ever see the quiet times when they weren't migrating? Like, did you see zebras? That's zebras in, in the U.S., but zebras <laughs> eating, eating close to the predators when they were low adrenaline and not afraid? Yes. Very close, because sometimes the predators are full. And when they're full, you know, I mean, it's just such a natural evolution to, you know, when you're hungry, you want to eat. But when they're full, the the prey seem to know that, Mm -hmm. and they hang out, you know, relatively close by. There's Equus, there's the language right there, watching the different interactions. And did you ever see them take flight? Did you ever see the guard horses or guard zebras uh, or antelope uh, all of a sudden go on alert and then zip? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, in, in fact, this whole migratory migratory um, pattern is all about that because yeah. they'll go to the Mara, they'll go to the river, they think they want to cross, they know they have to cross soon because mm-hmm. their days are numbered in terms of the rainy season, mm-hmm. and they'll get down to the river and they'll sort of all look at each other and pause, and they'll be they'll gallop down to the river, like you know, ten thousand of them, and then they'll stop dead at the river. And we'd been sitting there for an hour or so waiting, and there were crocodiles in that river, and they stopped dead, looked around, turned, one started going the other way. Next thing you know, this whole massive herd is galloping in the opposite direction, knowing that they can't cross the river at that place at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, so the sense that they have is pretty profound. That predator, yeah. Mm. So And so that should be on everybody's bucket list. I've got to believe that even though it's probably tough, there's probably some people just cringing right now going, I don't really want to see reality <laughs> about the food chain. But to yeah. see that language in action, to see how horses have survived for these millions of years, a lot longer than we have, uh, it is uh-huh. truly, is truly a, to make you believe in the language of survival and the language of equus, which helps our training in, with uh-huh. horses, don't you think? Absolutely, absolutely, mm-hmm. because it is all about survival, isn't it? And it's all about, you know, everybody's got to eat. <laughs> and mm-hmm. how that happens isn't an ugly thing, it's just what mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. But that, that language where a horse will, like, looking into the eyes, snapping your eyes on their eyes will make a lot more sense when you know that the predator has gone alert. That's us, you know. They know we're predators. Even if we don't eat horses here, they don't know that. Their their instincts and their language tell them, go away. That's a flight 
a flight trigger. Yeah. 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 Ooh, yeah. And they've go. learned to coexist with us <laughs> at mm-hmm. the same time. It's pretty yeah. amazing. Coexist is a nice word for put up with us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A testimony to how gracious they are. Ah, so true and generous. That's true. Well, I wanted to talk with you a little bit about today. We we um, wanted to bring you back to talk about how you have made your life a passion for making the horse comfortable and yeah. and putting things on him and around him that help him do that and her. And give us start us a little bit about um, uh, a history. Give us a little bit about where you were from when you when you set out to do the things that you've done, which led all the way to Entrepreneur, Woman Entrepreneur of the Year Award in Canada. Um, but what did you really set out to achieve? Oh, okay. Well, it was my intention always. I loved horses ever since I was a little kid, you know, I, I, but I never had the opportunity to be around them. So mm. when I had mm. the wherewithal, I moved my little family out into the country and, you know, I want to get involved in horses. And mm-hmm. I really knew nothing about them. Which, um, in retrospect, is a really good thing because yeah, maybe I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and 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 my history, my background came from like holistic natural healthcare um, for humans, uh, one aspect, and then the other was I I was a designer and an entrepreneur and a producer of uh, manufacturer of children's clothes, so I knew about the business, um, but I also was very much involved in holistic healthcare, natural healthcare. Good. So I got to be around horses, and it became so obvious to me so quickly that they had a level of discomfort. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, be it the barn I was at or, you know, the the who I was around, that was just generally seen as acceptable and the way it was. So, you know, horses were twitchy and, you know, they had lameness issues and, you know, they seemed grumpy. You know, the, this first barn I was at, there were 20 horses on, on two acres and, you know, they didn't have turnout and they were stalled and they were blanketed and they were fed alfalfa all the time. And, I mean, you know, yes, their situation wasn't good. And, again, in retrospect, that was probably part of the whole scheme of events for me to really trigger me into saying, this doesn't look like National Geographic. Yeah. Like those horses Not very I natural. Yeah. yeah. Running wild and free. You know, they were hitched and their movement wasn't free and all that. So, you know, I started asking questions and, you know, became sort of ostracized. Well, no, it was okay oh. to ask questions about the back. And, you know, to me right. it seemed like a natural evolution. Okay, what do we do? that's different from wild horses. Well, we put saddles on and ride them. So it must be the back that's giving them grief. All this discomfort, yeah. So, yeah, in 93, I introduced you as designing and developing the total comfort system saddle pads for horses. So that was okay back in the early 90s to talk about relieving horses from our our weight and our equipment. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely acceptable. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, uh, but then, you know, so developed the total comfort system saddle pads, which were, are really great in alleviating yeah. the back pain. But those niggly things, you know, those lamenesses, those, you know, some days your horse is fine, other days he's not. Sometimes there's swelling and heat emanating from the fetlocks or legs. Sometimes they can't pick up the right lead. Uh, sometimes they run away from you rather than, you know, the, yesterday they came, 
yeah. to join you or to start stumbling going downhill. You know, little things that are kind of inconclusive and even if you do testing and radiograph and body work, whatever you do, it may abate for a while but it comes back. Like those subtle things that are all seen as acceptable, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. those things still continued. So I thought, well, I've got to look a little bit further than the back. And I remember one day it was like, you know, everybody has these uh, aha moments. And I was just, you know, I'd fed my horses and, um, you know, they have to wander out to the field to eat because I feed them outside. And one of them, you know, my my prize horse was limping again, Oh, you know, hadn't limped for a while. But, you know, just and it wasn't even like if I'd have asked some of my friends, they'd have said, oh, she's fine. You know, mm-hmm. but, but my eye was just trained on that now because I, I saw National Geographic. I saw these beautiful <laughs> horses running free and unhitched, and and I just couldn't believe that fifty thousand, fifty million years mm-hmm. of evolution means they have niggly problems. It just didn't make sense to me. Yeah, yeah. they wouldn't have survived. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. Right. Yeah, talk about evolution in the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you can't run, you're nothing. Yeah. So that that was it. That was the That's big right. uh-huh. No uh-huh. hoof, no horse. So I start looking at the hoofs, and this young uh, mare had been shod when she was two and, you know, worked too hard too soon, and she had teeny little feet trying to support this big athletic body. And um, so that that's where the whole study of the hoof came in. And mm. uh, it has been revolutionary. I mean, it's changed the lives of horses all across the world. Well, it's true. I, I, the, the final straw, I think, is in the maybe late 90s when uh, owners started taking back their, um, uh, not ownership of the horses, but it felt like it because we were relying on trainers to tell us and we're relying on farriers and we're relying on equipment manufacturers to tell us what's going on with our horse but you know you're staring at your horse every day you see him in the field you know that there's something at least specific to your horse that could be better right mm-hmm. yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. and it you know coming as a novice into the industry i i wanted to listen to everybody i didn't mm-hmm. want problems <laughs> yeah yeah of course they've been at it a long everyone time everyone does mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. make it all okay yeah right when, when did when did it come to you? I mean, you knew about your horse. When did the realization hit you that maybe all those experts didn't know everything either about all horses? Yeah, and you know that wasn't a far stretch for me anyway because coming from a holistic background, I always questioned allopathic or or I mean, I questioned the authorities. So you know, <laughs> and when I started questioning. The response I got confirmed my passion to continue questioning because what I heard was, that's part and parcel of horse ownership. Don't worry about it. Get on your horse and ride. You know, stop this looking for problems. And that just really intrigued me even further. I mean, I remember, like, barefoot was not a consideration as any sort of a method of hoof care. You know, horses have been barefoot, certainly, but it was just, oh, we didn't chew them. You know, yeah. it wasn't yeah. sort of a method. Right. And, and vets back then weren't aware of, of how to help with any kind of transition. So they would say, you know, uh, not just keep your horse shot, you know, because yeah. they didn't know. Right. 
They it so, just I I just remember people calling it field trims. You know, they were just oh yeah right. oh that's when you let them out onto pasture. They're probably retired. You know, that's probably exactly. right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was barefoot. Yeah. yeah. So, do you think we've reached the tipping point now where people will really consider horse by horse the what they need on the time season even now that people are really taking authority over their horses and deciding, you know, if they need to have something maybe for the summer when they're trail riding up in the mountains, but when they come back off and they're on flatlands, they're okay. Um, throw the boots on when you are going to make a side trip. What Are we at that tipping point where people really are thinking out loud? Well, from my perspective, I mean, I'm so entrenched in this industry. And um, just in terms of boots, now, the way that Cavallos are designed, you can ride them through any terrain at any speed, and, and particularly over aggressive terrain. So, you know, if you are going in the mountains, they're the perfect answer. So just um, anyway, back to your question, I'm so entrenched in it, I feel like it is growing. And and certainly, I know this from a um, from a business uh, tangible perspective because yeah. we're selling. You know, I mean, our business just over the last year has increased upwards of one hundred and fifty percent around. Oh the world. my goodness! So we That's know, great. yeah. Not only are people um, are going to barefoot and booted, and I have to stress booted because. Once you put an additional average weight of 200 pounds on a horse's back, you are pushing that sole into the terrain. Mm -hmm. So the idea of riding horses barefoot can be done, but, but it's, you know, it requires even a more advanced program. So it's just really easy to, when you're riding, put boots on and go for a ride. Mm -hmm. So I know, sorry, I know that the boots have sold you know, increased in sales, and I know that people are considering barefoot, and I also know that um, they're coming over to Cavallo from other boot companies, so I'm not sure how much that percentage is, you know, other boot companies or, or the increase in that. Okay, but, yeah, fair. But what I do know is, you know, the information highway is is out there, and if people want to understand this whole program, uh the support is out there. Okay. And, you know, there's lots of enthusiasm for it. But I guess what I'm saying is I don't get the people who are uh, dyed in the wool, nail metal shoes on your horse's feet, people, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. That's uh, true. What I see is, is the barefoot movement is growing. I suppose one good example is uh, we make boots for uh, Mustad, and Mustad is the biggest uh, metal uh, shoe producer Anything. in the world. Yeah. And right. um, I know that that aspect, ha- that segment has grown as well. So so we do know that it's gaining ground. Yeah. Good. I mean, it's it should be like, do you remember when Nike shoes, you've probably made these analogies, but this is new to yeah. my little brain. So um, remember when Nike shoes were made with a waffle iron back in the 70s and they decided that they were going to make, you know, something other than Ked's tennis shoes or, you know, for, for us in the U.S., that was those really just rubber little flat nothings. And um, and it, it just sort of opened everybody's brain to, oh, we could do something different with our feet. It feels like that kind of era for horses, too, that 
oh, you mean you don't just do the same old stuff you've been doing for decades. We have new materials. We have new um, disciplines. We have new things we can do. And so so what you're seeing is people coming to you to be educated in this Nike revolution. (laughs) Is that right? (laughs) Well, that's a really good way to put it. And you know, there's been some conflict, there's been some opposition. I remember um, back in 2002, there was a conference at Tufts University, and, um, you know, if you're going to have a conference at a, at a very prestigious university like Tufts, you, you know, this is a topic that's relevant. Mm-hmm. So um, it had major exposure, and it was all about being barefoot. And afterwards... There was so much negative press um, from the barriers and, and you know, et cetera, um, for a doctor called Dr. Strausser. And, uh, you know, it, it beca- even the negative uh, press was what brought the whole movement to the forefront. And people started noticing and thinking about it. And, um, you know, we now we have experts like, you know, Dr. Robert Cook, Pete Ramey, Dr. Thomas Teske, James Welch, and and they're all saying that they've noted a significant decrease in the um, in the typical injuries that horses have endured oh, okay. uh, commonly. And so there's like there's less horses euthanized for uh, laminitis today there than go. there was okay. ten years ago. So so we know that this. And and they all attribute it to the fact that they're not restricted by metal shoes. So the metal shoes restrict blood flow and, in fact, increase shock absorption or or shock transmission, right, mm-hmm. up the structure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, th- so that kind of information is really coming out, and it's available to everybody. Right. Whereas People before, like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. We've got so many communication systems to get to it. Uh, I know one of the pushbacks is ease of putting it on. Is it getting easier to put these darn things on? (laughs) (laughs) That's what everybody complains about. Oh. Yeah. You know what? That was the major um, impetus for us. We want a boot that that we call um, our customer Jennifer. And Jennifer is, you know, she's upwards of 35, 40 years old. She owns one to two horses um, that either live with her or on a barn nearby, and she loves those horses. I mean, and and this is just the customer profile of, of who, see. you know, generally she's a trail rider. Her horses are solace, you know, her best yeah. friend, if you yeah. will. Yeah. And, and so she, you know, if you're going to be 65 years old or 70 years old, you don't want to be down there fiddling around trying to get boots on or, you know, breaking, you know, gadgets breaking or, you know, whatever. You want something really simple and easy. You know, we and and the other thing is, like, we don't have time to ride, a lot of us. I mean, you know, even tacking up is, you know, we want to get up. Cuts into that riding time, that's right. That's right. So, you know, we don't need to be fiddling around with boots. I mean, do you remember when... I I remember when the farrier would come and the farrier took care of the horse's hoofs. Yep. You know, all we did was pick them up. I didn't even know what a frog was. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or a collateral Rabbit. groove or any of that stuff. You know, that was farrier's work. 
So we don't need another whole procedure. So we wanted to make simple boots, and that was, um, you know, the first incarnation of the Cavallo boot was was this this boot that we came up with. You know, really easy to open and close, and um, stays on through any terrain. Easy to put on, easy to take off. Just just a very basic, functional, fit for purpose boot. Yeah. And we were about to launch it, and Greg and I, my husband, CEO, who um, works with me, we worked together, we were about to launch it at a trade show the, the next week, and we didn't have a name for this thing. And we're throwing it back and forth in our front room, sort of tossing it around, literally. And it's like, oh, it's so simple. And there came the name. So that yeah. was the first oh. incarnation, Simple Boot. Oh, yeah. and it's a good name, too. Yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah. I love hearing stories like that. That's kind of fun. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I appreciate, you know, giving us a little history on it. And I appreciate the fact that the businesses are growing and that people are becoming empowered, you know, from so many different angles for their horses. And I think that's, you know, speaking of, of demographics, I, I think that's who's listening to Horsemanship Radio. But tell us, uh, you know, listeners right in if you're, if you're thinking otherwise. But I think that's what this whole horsemanship and natural horsemanship, which is a funny kind of oxymoron name, but <laughs> it is all about really is is empowering the owners to make those decisions and then empowering manufacturers to be available to change and flex and, and use new ideas and new technologies to make that happen. Um, I would love to have you back, Carol, to talk about business building because there's probably women and men out there itching to build businesses in the equestrian business, and they look at you who've done this. They've you've come through this whole evolution, and would love to know more about how you did that. And would you come back and talk to us about business building sometime? I'd love to talk about that because you know this started. It, it's truly an elves and the shoemaker story. And mm. uh, if you just stick with your with your passion and and have a goal, a vision in mind. Pretty amazing things can happen. That's and it's cool. about your belief system and your mindset, too. So that's, that's something I'd love to talk about. Oh, good. And, okay, that sounds you know, great. I love what you're saying about, um, you know, taking power into our own hands. And one of the really interesting things that I've noticed in, in the whole hoof care industry is a gender transformation because, mm-hmm. um, you know, it used to be that all the, I mean, mostly all the farriers were men. Mm-hmm. And now the hoof care practitioners are increasingly women. That's and true. they've started trimming their own horses, you know, and, and I, I trim my own horses too. And, you know, when I started doing it, it was because I couldn't find anybody to to do oh, it for me. I hear that all the time. I'm yeah. sure you do too, that, you know what? I struggled. I flew them out here from Texas. I did this, I did that. And finally it's like, heck, you know, it's not brain surgery. Let's get going here. So I got around to do it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I'd much rather have somebody trained and that's one of the problems I have to say we can run into in, in this world is that, um, you know, people who don't really know are trimming and, yeah. and now we're at the point where, okay, Yes, we've pulled the metal shoes off and we're, you know, we're doing the best we can, but there's, there's some better ways to trim and, mm-hmm. and I really recommend that people seek out, um, educated trimmers. That's you know, a good point. You can do the wrong thing and then, yeah. you know, 
back in shoes just because you're not trimming properly. That's right. It's not that barefoot's wrong, it's that the trimming isn't right. Yeah, no, go get educated before we put you behind the wheel here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Carol, and uh, thank you, Cavallo Horse and Rider, for lending you today. It's it's always good to catch up with you, and uh, maybe we could... Uh, go to your, do you have a Facebook page? You, do you put Kenya up on there? Did you put any photos going on? <laughs> You're so funny. Well, it's oh, on my personal page. Oh, <laughs> I want to see. You can't put them on the Kabbalah. I guess maybe not. The bloody, no. uh, you know. Well, you cats. know, I do. Um, I urge everyone to, you know, go on to the Kabbalah website and sign up for our blogs. Um, you know, because so we, we send out some really inf- interesting articles and information, and it's all about empowering us as horse owners and, you know, getting some fun knowledge out there, uh, you know, for the Cavallo community. And it's not like they're not big, long blogs, but, you know, some of them are really fun. So sign they're up so for good. them. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I know that I'm transforming the lives of horses globally. You can learn to do it, too on my Equus Online University. There's a new lesson on there each week, all the way from join up to advanced. Watch world's champions give their lessons. Join at MontyRoberts.com. Go to my Equus Online University. You can transform your horse too. Courtney Dunn hails from North Carolina, where she was manager at Horseworks LLC, and she specialized in halter training foals. She did inspection handling and starting and breaking of horses and training remedial and spooky horses, too. And she's been riding and competing hunters and jumpers from a young age and had a good start in the pony club and fox hunting. In the summer of 2011, Courtney received her Monty Roberts instructor certification, and she moved across the country to work at Flag Up Farms, where she focused on teaching and horse training. She's a really good teacher. She's con- currently continuing her work with horses in the San Inez Valley of California. Welcome, Courtney Dunn. Hey, we're so glad to have you. What were you just out doing? I know we pulled you in from a field or something today, didn't we? Yes, I'm um, managing some Arabians and we are feeding them lunch. Uh-oh. So uh, your time is in demand. Are we going to hear about it in the background a little bit? Possibly. <laughs> well, that's okay. We hope that they can hang on there for 15, 20 minutes, those little guys. Um, well, we're happy to have you here. We had a subject come up, and we thought of you because you've had a lot of experience. As young as you are, you are old enough to know a lot about confidence around horses and confidence in our riding and confidence on the ground. So we hope that you can share a little bit with us about um, some of the the things that you've learned and some of the things you do um, for your physiology um, to to get a little confidence when you need it. I think it's so interesting that um, some people say that horses are like like biofeedback machines, right? They reflect a lot of what we what we're doing inside. You you're a yes, high definitely. energy person, don't you think? Yeah. So you're a high energy person. What I'd love to hear from you, and I've never asked you this question, is how do you stay so low adrenaline around horses and yet you're hardworking and maintain a high level of energy? You can have a lot of things going on at once, but when you're with a horse in that moment, you have to just be in that moment and not reactive to the horse. And a lot of it is through breathing, deep breathing. Whenever you feel the 
Whenever you start to feel the adrenaline or the energy come up, I just always take a breath and just try to slow down and be in that moment with that horse. Ah, that's great. That, that's so interesting because the guest right before you, Carol Herter, said almost the same thing. So we know we're on the right page here with this. So now I know that you didn't come from a Western background. You came from an English background, um, hunter jumpers, uh, and then became more interested in the Westerns when you moved out here. Did you have to go through a period of building your confidence on a Western horse or did you just transfer that on over? Oh, it was a process. Yeah. It was definitely a process. It's still learning new learning new skills and learning new movements. I mean, it's it's still riding a horse, but it was finding the confidence. Confidence comes from experience, I think, with the horses mm-hmm. and knowing that you're going to be okay or knowing that you know where you are with the horse in that moment. And so it was definitely took some confidence building um, in that first year. I'm going to say the first year of switching over was, was pretty difficult. Mm-hmm. Do you remember having to build confidence when you were young and learning to ride? Or is that something that just doesn't happen for young, young kids? Oh, it happens, but I think it came pretty quickly because I, I started on the really tough ones, um, uh. which looking back, I guess, is the best way to do it. But I, I started on the pretty <laughs> tough ones, and so it got easier as I went on. Uh-huh. And you, you went into training remedial horses, spooky horses, and, and a lot of challenging horses, too. How did you – that's just experience – your answer to experience was was getting into that. A lot of people um, find they feel, you know, breakable around horses. So how did you get beyond that? Well, you just get through it, and sometimes you get a little bruise or you get a little break, and sometimes you don't. Uh, It's just knowing what you have within yourself and reading the horse in that moment and realizing what you can and can't handle. Mm-hmm. Do you do you have more fears on the ground or more fears in the saddle, if any? I mean, maybe you're more confident in one or the other. Oh, everybody definitely has fears. The moment you don't have the fears is when you do get injured. Ah, <laughs> good point. Be aware that you can get hurt. It's knowing knowing what you can handle and knowing what you don't know, and just going with the situation is how I find the confidence to continue on in a situation that I don't know what's going to happen or that I don't know the outcome or that I haven't experienced before. I just have to know in that moment, okay, we're going to be okay. I'm going to read the horse. I'm going to be the leader, and I can keep myself safe. And that's where I get most of my confidence from. One versus the other, I would say I probably have more confidence on the ground because I have more experience on the ground. Hmm. Um, In the saddle, I'm fairly confident too, but I, I definitely wouldn't say I don't have any fears. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's that. Is, I think you're wise there. It's a good respectful moment. So you've handled a lot that's of how babies. You get hurt. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. So you've done a lot of training of foals and and babies and getting them started. So that's what teaching them to halt or lead and and a lot of their ground manners. Yeah. Yep. Teaching them to lead first, halter first, taking them away from the mom. Picking up the feet, having shots, all handling that goes along with being a, a horse. Mm-hmm. Good. So that probably, I mean, you'd have to be really a great ground manners person. I mean, a great ground working person, a good trainer for, for all that. How do you, what's your philosophy on weaning right now? I've heard different things about taking them away from the mom. There's a transition, there's that fence, there's, uh, you know, over the fence, there's 
cold turkey? Oh, gosh. What is- <laughs> I don't know. I'm just observing. I know so many people that do it so many different ways, and yeah. I think you just kind of do it. All right. So what's your first day like when you've got a new foal and he's weaned and you've got to start? Where do you start? Well, the first day you just kind of have to give them the give them the benefit of the doubt. They're going to be upset. They're going to be a little bit, uh, not so much in shock, but a little a little dramatic and a little upset. And so that first day we will just usually do the basics, turn them out, bring them in, that kind of thing, because you don't want to ask for something that's not possible. Like you don't want to, in a, in a stressful situation, you're not going to ask them to perform new things. It's mm-hmm. really just helping them get through that, that first day. So I don't ask a whole lot on the first day other than the basics. Mm-hmm. Great. So you're, it's now you've got the it. situation. I mean, the, the confidence also will come from knowing what you're asking for. If you're not really sure what you're asking for, or you're asking way too much, you're setting yourself up to not have a good result. And if you're not sure how much you're asking for, the horse definitely doesn't know. So it's all mm-hmm. about just knowing why you're doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. See, that's, what I think, where the confidence is built right there. It's all about knowing what you're doing when you're doing it and, and that being in the presence. And I love that. So how much for you is reading the horse and being able to understand the language of the horse that builds your confidence on those those little bits of knowledge that you're imparting? Uh, for me, I would say that the largest part of it is being able to read the horse and then knowing how much I can handle myself. Like knowing, okay, I need to rethink here. I'm about to get hurt. I don't know what's happening. Or being able to read, all right, we're going to be okay. I can, I can get through this. I can read why the horse is reacting, how it's reacting, and I know how to act according, accordingly. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Do you, do you work in pairs or do you work by yourself with the babies? I mean, do you work with other people? It just kind of depends who's around. If I, if I realize that I'm in a situation that I really need two people and Mm -hmm. it's going to be a lot easier and save a lot of time for the horse and for myself and get Mm -hmm. me farther in the long run. If I just stop, find a good, a good step, stop, wait a minute and get somebody else. then I will do that. If it's sometimes when there's nobody else around and I have to get through it, then you just change your plan get done what you need to get done. That's also where the confidence comes from. You know that you can change the plan. Mm-hmm. You don't have to get this particular thing done this particular way right now. You can you can change the plan always accordingly to the situation. Yeah, good. So what are your plans now? Is this something that you can um, do for a lifetime, this, this starting babies and everything, or is this something that you're building toward um, for a transition to a, a life, you gonna stay in horses? Um. Well, hopefully, horses keep being born and it keeps being babies for the rest of a uh-huh. long, long time, and I uh-huh. can keep working with them. Is it a young person's kind of job, though, uh, training babies, and or is it something that you? No, I wouldn't say so. I wouldn't uh-huh. say so. It's just adapt. Like I said, adapting to what you can handle at the time. I mean, some days I'm a little bit sore, or some days I'm a little bit. Tired and not as energetic and strong as other days, and so I just mm-hmm. I just change the plan accordingly to that day. I see. Or how okay. much I ask of them or how I ask them to do something. Thank you for giving us your time today. I I didn't hear any horses screaming in the background, so maybe somebody either fed for you or or they're not as hungry as you. I thought. think somebody is feeding for me. Okay, <laughs> that was probably it. 
Well, before we get to our trainer's tip uh, this week, I wanted to ask you, you know, a couple years ago, I don't know how long ago it was now, mm-hmm. but uh, we, we uh, had you on a, a number of our shows talking uh-huh. about the Equus Online University, which had just yeah. come out. Ah, okay. I know exactly when it was. Then. Yeah. When was it? How long ago was it? It was almost to uh, November 9th. It will be five years now. Really? Launched it. Yeah. Can you believe it? Holy cow. <laughs> I know. It's cool. <laughs> I remember having you on talking about it, and yes. it had just come out. It was all brand new. Mm-hmm. And, well, how's it going? We don't talk about the university much on, on the show here. We probably should. We should be bragging so, on it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. No, there's some great... So where are we five years later? Okay, so we're about 325 lessons later, <laughs> and it's, you know, people are on there 24-7. It, you can, you know, play those things over and over and over again, and it's a, a, you know, it has developed. It's become better with the search engine in it, and it's become better with the forum because we have such an amazing You know, a lot of those forums, people get on there and go, oh, no, you're not. Yes, you are. No, you're not. Yeah, usually it's, it ends up with the whiners on forums. <laughs> exactly, right. and it's not. What I see is a mentoring. Actually, it's it's almost the polar opposite. Because um, the, we we do give these rosettes out for people who've completed so many lessons, and uh, once the rosettes started, now we have uh, we're up to five rosettes uh, for somebody who's watched every lesson, and you you have those rosettes by your forum. Uh, personality in your profile. And uh, so you can really see who's watched all these things. So it gives them credibility when they come in and say, hey, if you watch this lesson. So people come on there and they're using it as a um, as a training tool, frankly, you know, and they get on there. And and I'm not bragging on, on the university as the greatest training tool, which I think it is, but it's also a great place for people to be mentored as they begin their journey with horses. Um, it really, it really is cool. So when they watch the lessons and they can watch them over and over again, as many times as they want, they get the lesson notes, they get audio, they get visual, and then they've got the forum to kick around too. Plus we've got now since 2004, every week, Without fail, we put up a Q&A from Monty himself. He chose the question, he answered it, and we put it in a database. And that's actually free for everybody to search and get to. It's it's open on our um, Equus Online University. In other words, it's a non-subscriber open source forum too. Uh, not forum, but a Q&A base. Uh, the forum is not. You're, you're behind a subscriber wall for the forum just so we know who's talking. But it is... Um, it is it's been an incredible experience actually to put these together with Stefan Peters and Will Simpson. You know who I'm talking about. These, these guys have won everything yep. in their worlds and, uh, Charlotte Bredals. And, and if I get started, Rich, Richard Winters and so many guest lecturers that are on there too. So some people ask, why is it called university? Well, that's what a university is. It's, uh, it's not just one opinion. It's not just one deliverer, you know, and, and I think that's the difference between the, uh, everybody is putting out a YouTube these days and they're free. So people ask us sometimes, why do you charge like up to $10 a month? And well, it's, it's expensive to make the university. Everybody knows quality is, is, uh, not cheap, but it, it's really our mission statement. And I know that sounds a bit trite, but it's true <laughs> when you, when you've worked at it for five years, just to get all that quantified and on there, they're just almost no subjects we haven't covered at this point. But, um, but dad and I were looking at the list and he goes, Hey, I'm going to be making videos until well into my 90s. And I went, yes. So, <laughs> promise and sign here. <laughs> so, so we do have, we do have a lot of subjects left to go and a lot of people we want to still get on there too and, uh, and 
glean some from theirs. Um, I've just been really proud of it, and I we're gonna we're planning a little surprise celebration for its fifth year birthday too. What do you think of it, Glenn? Well, I think that one of the things about training horses, as it, same as training anything really, no. uh, is that you're you're going through stages, and you're always coming up to a new problem to solve uh-huh. or a new issue to deal with. And what I like about the university now that you have so much content on there mm-hmm. is that whatever issue you're running into, there's going to be something on there to help you. So not many people are going to go on there and watch all, you know, all the videos mm-hmm. uh, because there's just so many of them. What you're, gonna, what you're going to want to do is go on there and you're going to want to watch the videos that relate to the situation you're in currently with right. that particular horse. Um, and, and that's what I like about it is it has, it has so much content now that whatever you're dealing with, you're probably going to find an answer somewhere, somehow. And if not, you can go to the forum. Yeah. So, you know, that's what I, I really like about it is wherever you're at now is where you can find that situation. Plus, you know, YouTube is so full of crap now, and I'm not saying that every video on there is crap, but there are, we all know what we're talking about. Uh, there are some that are, and you know, one of the things that, I really like about this is you know you can trust it. Uh, you know that w- what you're seeing is something you can trust. I've tried doing repairs on uh, appliances and things off of YouTube videos, <laughs> and and you know some of them are good, some are not so good, and some, one of the things I couldn't get back together again. So oh. was, you know, was, you know that <laughs> at least you didn't hurt yourself. That's right. Good. <laughs> so that's what I really like about it. And for that, yes, it costs a few it costs a few pennies to do it, but it's worth it. Uh, nice. You know, it's worth it to do it right. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And it is tried and true. Everything on there is so tried and true. If not, you know, we'd be, they'd be throwing tomatoes at us in the forum. <laughs> but it really does work. And, and we, we are so happy that uh, so many people have been um, interested enough at least to go there, you know. And I should plug in the, the website right now is um, www.montyrobertsuniversity.com um, because people can get a free day pass on there and go see what we're talking about and uh, and check out that search engine too. You can put in the weird little keywords and you, you find all kinds of crazy stuff. It really is cool. And it breaks it down by um, not just the lessons first, then it goes into the Q&A database and then it goes into the forum. So you can actually pick and choose where you um, pick up those keywords from too. So, um, it, it's great. And then you also have little challenge questions, which I love the little tests at the end. You know, there's always four questions at the end of your lesson to make sure that, you know, you were, you were watching. And, um, if, if you get it wrong, it just says, want to try again? <laughs> and so you, by process of elimination, you get it right. And then it, it moves you on. And that's how you get your rosettes that you've accomplished that, um, that lesson and that you get to move on. But I, you know, what you just said is so important because when we were setting this, idea up. Um, nothing really existed like it. We didn't want it to be first you have to do one and then you have to do number two and then you have to do number three. And like it was some sort of programmed process. Yeah, because that, that never works. It doesn't. It, <laughs> no. you know, because we wanted people who were amazing trainers to jump in there and go, this is what I, you know, what does Monty say about this? Or what does this trainer say about that? Uh, and they could be at a world-class level, or it could be a very beginner saying, where do I start first? And you, you can just go down the lessons if you want. But you know, it's like you said, if all of a sudden you have a horse that won't load and you didn't have one last week that didn't load, you know, you go to the loading lessons right, and it's exactly. a whole series on it, you know, see, so it's not just from one angle. It's not just starting, you know, teaching the young horse the first time he ever steps on something. Uh, we have those two, but you've got a remedial issue. Then we've got those two, you know? So uh, why would we force people to go 
through a process when it's not what they need. So it's a big open um, uh, tool. That's I mean, that's the closest thing I can describe it with is it's a huge training tool. And it, it, I think for the price, it's it's the best. And it's MontyRobertsUniversity.com? That's it. Yeah. Thanks for asking. I appreciate no that. No problem. I was wondering about it. I've been meaning to ask you that the last 12 shows. So We haven't <laughs> talked about Oh, thank you. Thanks, Cliff. Yeah, it's doing well. <clears throat> I need one on memory. See, I, that's what I need. <laughs> <laughs> Luminosity. I've yeah. heard that. <laughs> yes, actually, that's true. I've been to there. That was kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> Trainer's tip coming up. Who do we have? We have Dale Chavez, renowned saddle maker and a lifelong horseman, and he's offering us this advice. Um, I think the biggest problem I have with people is that they keep their horses too fat. Uh, I have a real problem fitting saddles to fat horses, mm. and people uh, treat love by feeding their horses more. And um, in a lot of instances, that's that's the only thing I object to, not keeping them overly fat. I like them lean. I don't like them overweight. And it's very hard on a horse if you're, you're going to ride them for any distance to keep them fat. That's that would true. Be the only huh? thing that, I, uh, that would be the only thing that's my pet peeve is when that happens. Mm-hmm. And, and fat is not just over-treated, but out of shape a little bit then too, right? goes hand in hand. They're out of shape, out of shape, and it's very hard on a horse to keep them overweight. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you, if you do, you know, stress them out or use them hard, it's very hard on them. So I, 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 uh, I always recommend to people try not to keep them fat. Keep them nice, but not fat. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Happy, but not happy and fat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very good. Thanks. Thanks, Dale. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Dale Chavez. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in October through November 1. He is going to be on tour in the south of England and all the way up to Glen Eagle, Scotland. And then he jumps over to tour in Germany on November 8th and the 15th on the weekends there. And then December 1, or Thanksgiving, he really, he scrambles home for Thanksgiving, eats a little bit of turkey. And then he is going to hold his Monty special training in English and Portuguese, December 1 through 5, uh, for our Brazilian and Portuguese friends, too. And then December 12 through 14, we have another Horse Sense and Healing. And that, if you don't know about that yet, it is for stress injuries in our service personnel and first responders. And we use horses for the healing. And you can see more at MontyRoberts.com. The entire schedule's on there. And for Monty's calendar, go to the website or call 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, go to HorsemanshipRadio.com, where you can find the links, photos, and more information about our guests. And don't forget, too, the easiest way to listen to the show is really on our app. Whether it's iPhone or Android, just go to the App Store and search for Horse Radio Network. The Horsemanship Radio Show is one of the is one of the shows on that list. And I noticed a lot of every time you post the, about the app on Facebook, mm-hmm. we get a lot of listeners from around the world and South America yeah. and all over Sonic. the place. Yeah. yeah, good, good. Well, they they speak English. That's great. I'm glad. Yeah, very good. 
And uh, we love your feedback, so please follow us on Facebook under facebook.com slash Monty Roberts and Twitter at twitter.com slash Monty underscore Roberts. Right. And many thanks to our sponsors. We couldn't do it without you. Be sure to visit all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network at www. Did I get four W's there? www.horseradionetwork.com. And until next time, have many happy horse hours. Mm-hmm.